Welcome to Tea Hanks for the Memories. I'm your host Darren, and today we're going to be covering the first of the Golden 14. Tom Hanks' unbeaten streak of great films um, starts with this film, A League of Their Own, and continues all the way through to, I would say, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, I would say that's where it abruptly comes to a halt because then the next film is The Lady Killers. Obviously, we'll talk more about that once we get to The Lady Killers. Um, this film was released on the 1st of July 1992. Seems like a good time to release a film on the uh, on the kind of uh, 4th of July, something, a film about something very American, baseball. Um, it did quite well at the box office, made three times its budget, and uh, it got 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. On the audience score, it's even higher. It's 84%. On IMDb, it's clocking in at 7.3. And Tom wasn't nominated for this performance, uh, although I feel he should have been, at least, for the, uh, certainly for the acting and the peeing. Come on, that's a a great scene. Should have got some nominations for that. Um, Unfortunately, Gene Hackman from Unforgiven won that year. And joining me to talk about this film today, we have Susan Hill. Hello, Susan. Hi. And returning from Splash, I have Alice Lauren hey. and Kelly Hansen. Hello there. Um, yeah. Now, now, um, interestingly, in 1990, Tom had a bit of a bad year. Um, Joe vs. the Volcano did not make money. And then he was in Bonfire of the Vanities, which definitely did not make money. In fact, it lost so much money that somebody wrote a book about how much money it lost. And faced with that, he was considering quitting acting. He, he didn't know why he was doing acting anymore. He didn't know why he was in films. And he spoke with his wife at length about this, uh, Rita Wilson, of course. And she kind of just said, you know, be a bit more selective. Like when the scripts come in, learn to say no. Because up until that point, from Splash... Through to um, 1990, he'd been basically doing two films a year. In some years, he'd done three films. And, you know, he was a little bit burnt out. So he kind of took a year off. Uh, Like I said, he did a cameo on Radio Flyer as a favour to the producers of that film. Um, And then he, you know, looked for good scripts. And I would say that he succeeded in that he basically spent the next decade and a half doing nothing but good films. Uh, And this is the first of those films. Uh, Obviously, he's returning to working with Penny Marshall. Um, also in this film is Gary Marshall, and um, I'm trying to remember the other family member who's in it as well, one of the Reiners. Um, so, you know, um, she uh, it's funny because Penny insists she cast Gary Marshall at the last minute because they couldn't afford Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. uh, which I... That role played by Christopher Walken would have been insane. Oh, I don't geez. know how... I don't know how he would have played... I can't Christopher even imagine Walken. that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, in some ways, it's it's good that we got Gary because he's, you know, he's kind of genial and friendly and, you know, he's a fun guy to have around. And a little bit smarmy. Um, yeah. A little yeah. bit smarmy in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as, as like the owner of, he owns a team, doesn't he? I think that's the role that he's playing, uh, Mr. Harvey. Well, I think he's sponsoring the league, actually. Oh, yes. But he's also an owner of some teams, but. Or is he the? He does he own some kind of? Oh, he owns the chocolate, doesn't he? That's the. Th- I'm confusing myself as to. There's a lot of guys in suits in this film, and they all wear hats, <laughs> and they the all 40s. look pretty much the same. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, it is obviously based on the real baseball league that was set up um, during the Second World War. Um, although I will point out that the major leagues did not shut down during the Second World War. They just took all the minor league players and promoted them all. And there were a few AAA and AA teams that basically just stopped existing after the war because none of the players went back to them. Um, so, you know, but for the for the purposes of the film, I think it's nice that kind of dramatically they make out that, you know, this is the this is the pastime that, you know, um, is going to take the place of the fact that all the, the men are at war. Um, you know, and I'd say during most of the film, you know, we don't really feel the fact that people are at war. There's a couple of scenes where there's obviously very kind of, you know, there's mentions of people being at war. But for a lot of this film, it's it's about the baseball. 
Um, as I said, released, released on a July 4th weekend, and I think that's probably the best time to release it. Um, I did not see this film at the cinema, and up until today, I had not seen this film ever. Um, I'd never seen it on TV. I'd never <laughs> seen the shock on some of my guest faces. I'd, I just had never seen this film. Um, I knew it was a good film. You know, I like Penny Marshall. I love Big. Um, but I just had not ever had the kind of motivation to see it. Um, you know, which I feel is a shame because it's a very good film. And I think I should have seen it earlier. But, you know, I've seen it now. Um, I saw it probably uh, when I was still living with my parents. Because my dad was a big videophile. Like, he has been into, like, since CEDs and beta. And, like, he's we've had movies in the house ever since I was very little. So I probably saw it then. I have it on DVD. And uh, I, I've probably seen this movie enough for both of us since you haven't seen it. <laughs> I well, this is movie. what I rely on my guests for. I mean, for the Burbs, I had the guy who did the Burbs Minute. So, you know, he'd, he'd seen the film in minute pieces a hundred times. So Yeah, it's a little fuzzy, but I can remember because the first time I saw it was last night. Um, so, yeah, I actually, uh, that's sort of a big confession because as a queer woman, it's a big part of my culture that I haven't watched yet, but I finally got around to it last night so that I could do this show. And I was very pleased. And I think Alice, you're in the same boat as me. Yeah, and Kelly. My first time was last night as well. Uh, yeah. Susan is going to carry I'm this team. I think, yeah, she's going to carry this team. Yeah. I hadn't realized how many Tom Hanks movies I have not seen. I was just talking to my friend about that. Today, I was, you know, I'd say, like, I, you know, I need to get on to seeing Big, Castaway, like, all these different things. But, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do this podcast because I could have, you know, picked two movies that I really wanted to see and haven't seen yet, so. Yeah, well, I mean, I get, I mean, if, if Susan is our expert, I feel like she should be the one that guides us through this. All right, Dottie, um... let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we start off in the present. Don't we? The present of 1992, I think. Is yes. It, is it explicitly said that it's 1992? Yeah. Um, or is it, is it 91? I don't think they ever explicitly say. It's after, clearly after 1987, because, spoiler alert, that's the year that uh, Jimmy Dugan died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It says on his uh, on his uh, posting in the Cooperstown uh, Baseball Hall of Fame that he died in 1987. At the ripe old age of 86, which for, you know, a yeah. chronic alcoholic is a decent yeah. age. Good job, pal. Yeah. I thought that as well. I was like, I'm surprised he made it to 87. I would have thought sometime <laughs> in the 60s, but you know. Maybe he stayed off the bottle and, you know, found himself a good woman and settled down. They're a good man. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he went back to that waitress that he spoke about in his prayer. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm still absolutely shocked that it's not Dottie. I thought they were going to end up together. The studio you know. wanted it, and uh, and Penny was like, nope, it'll take the focus off what I, the story I want to tell. So she put the, the kibosh on it. I really, not to, yeah. I guess, jump forward too much, but I really appreciated that about this movie. I, I, my biggest pet peeve with movies is a forced romantic subplot that adds nothing. Exactly, yeah. And I also yeah, think, I think it, it was a been, good choice. I think it would have been a betrayal of Dottie's character because I don't think she would do that as a character. So she's so dedicated to her husband that it would just, yeah. it would, just it would be like a it'd be a, such a deep betrayal. I'm like, no, I don't want that for Dottie. <laughs> well, I think I just expected like he was gonna like he was gonna die and she was gonna be like, all right, there you are, Jimmy. Here you are, you know. Oh yeah, I I definitely <laughs> thought it was going to happen, but I was very happy when it didn't. <laughs> 
Did you think it was her husband that was dead when the telegram arrived? I yeah, yeah, I thought so, or I thought that he was going to um, come back and not be supportive of her baseball career, and they were she was going to leave him because of that. Interesting. Hmm. Never thought but, of it. But that instead, way. he's just he's just a happy Bill Pullman, and he's just yeah. Excited to be there. I have probably seen this movie 20 times, and every single time, I completely forget Bill Pullman is in this. <laughs> it's understandable. I mean, you know, he's a late entry, and he's only in a couple of scenes. Yeah. But I was like, oh, yeah, Bill Pullman. And in the, the article that you, uh, that, we, that you shared about the 70 points about uh, watching um, A League of Their Own, mm-hmm. um, I love how the author thought that Bill Pullman was Luke Wilson. <laughs> Because, like, with Luke Wilson would have been a baby, I feel like. Maybe he's older than I think he is, but... Yeah. I thought that was quite I mean, the, the Wilson Brothers' first film was Bottle Rocket, and that was, like, 96. So... But they were still both very young. Mm-hmm. So which was yeah. Been, would have been really weird. Um, but, yeah. We're in the present. And uh, Dottie's daughter is trying to convince her to go to the reunion because she does not want to go. But we don't know why. Not yet. Yeah. What I like, what I like about this as well is obviously uh, these days it would be a CGI old Gina Davis, um, but in 1992 they're like, just dub a voice and that'll do. But it looks a lot like her. She does. Yeah, the actress is is resembles her so much. There are a lot of people who are like, did they CGI her? Yeah, is she old makeup? Well, I I thought I was like, did they have the best? old makeup ever i was really trying to figure it out with her and um and kid actually i thought they both looked very good because when i first saw this movie it was pre-internet pre-imdb so i was just like is it her i can't tell is it her i can't tell and then once the internet came around i'm like is it her the other actresses are sort of okay, but like spot on for Gina, old Gina Davis. I thought old Rosie O'Donnell was kind of what Rosie O'Donnell will look like when she's like 70 or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, the Madonna I one. I was just kinda. like, Madonna is just going to look like Madonna when she's that age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's in, her, she's in her 50s now, isn't she? And she looks just like Madonna. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she's... Um, 62, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's born go. 59. No, 58. She was born 58. August 58. It might be her birthday sometime this week, actually, if I'm thinking about it. Speaking of Madonna, she hated filming this movie. Oh, yeah, no, it's With funny. a passion. Like, she insulted everyone <laughs> and everything. The city it was filmed in, the crew, the hotel people, the restaurant people. She hated it. The wow, other, that's other crazy. cast had to, like, entertain others by, like, singing her songs because she didn't want to sing for them. I'm like, Madonna just seems like a massive jerk. Like, even more so. Like, I don't know. How do you work with her? I don't know. I'm and this is to like that. It, yeah. it's at the but, height of her career as well. Yeah. Like so, maybe she was just being extra diva at the time. Well, I don't know, were, but like the reason I am surprised is because I was reading an article where they interviewed Gina Davis last night, and she said, "Oh, I was really worried about working with Madonna at the height of her career, but she was a real team player, and she was, you know, she was really dedicated to the project, and she specifically said she insisted on sliding into the basis head first. So I was not, I was surprised by that because I was not thinking Madonna did that stunt, but I guess so. Anyway. I think um, uh, a lot of the, the actresses did their own stunts with a few exceptions. Yeah. I think uh, Gina Davis, like, Gina Davis could do the splits, but she couldn't slide into the splits. So, yeah. like, she had a stunt the, double for that. But, but like, the, no, the, the she, player she had the, the, the split. 
she did the splits, but she couldn't slide into them. So when you see the see the actress sliding into the splits, that's her stunt double. But yeah, she could two actually very quick cuts. Yeah, it's two very quick cuts there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have a quote from Madonna though, allegedly from Madonna that okay. says, "I cannot suffer any more than I have in the past month learning how to play baseball with a bunch of girls." Yuck. In Chicago, double yuck. I have a tan, I'm dirty all day, and I hardly ever wear makeup. Penny Marshall, Laverne, Gina Davis is a Barbie doll, and when God decided that where the beautiful men were going to live in the world, he did not choose Chicago. I have made a few friends, but they are athletes, not actresses. They have nothing on the house of extravaganza. I wish I could come to New York. <laughs> wow. See, that sounds more like the Madonna I know than the one Gina Davis described. <laughs> yeah like huge yeah she was at the height it is kind of insane that she's like fifth billing on a baseball movie it's like uh an odd career move though she made friends with rosie o'donnell and they've been friends ever since so well she did dick tracy she was the star of evita the musical um she was she had a part in a james bond movie uh, one of the pierce brosnan ones and uh she does cameos a lot more i think these days than full acting parts she did uh, in the 80s she had like a small run of films including uh who's that girl and desperately seeking Susan. although they were sort of like glorified Has music she done videos with a bit of a story thrown yeah I mean, I'm, I'm young she's I not mean, quite my era anyway for singing but i think of her more as a singer i loved who's that girl when i was younger because madonna has what she got it she got like a tiger there's a tiger in there or something mm-hmm. yeah so it was like a teen boy i was like oh madonna and a gigantic cat <laughs> You know, what more do you need in a film other than those two things? Talking of stunts, um, that was her doing the doing the dancing in that one scene, right? I tried to look this up and yeah. I assume it was because, you know, she's such a dancer. But Oh yeah, it was definitely her. I was, I was paying close attention on this viewing. I'm like, is that actually Madonna? <laughs> it looks like Madonna. Yeah, well, I mean, she, like, even before she was a singer, she was a dancer, so I assumed. But... Oh, she loves to dance, I believe. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, she was, she, I think that would be the one part of the movie that she'd be totally, like, 100% committed to, is the dancing. Yeah, and I love dancing in movies, so that was a real highlight scene for me. It is nice to have a younger perspective on Madonna. I can't, can't say I've... <laughs> I mean, I generally think of her as being, like, one of the biggest singing stars in the world who also did a lot of very bad acting. But it's nice that we just got this completely different perspective she, on, she looks uh, just like her daughter on her entire career. Too, which I think is really uh, cool. She's some blonde old lady, apparently. So Yeah, yeah. You forget she's not just some blonde old lady. <laughs> to uh, me, yeah. a blonde old lady. I think she's given up on but... adopting. I think now <laughs> she's just she's stuck with the ones that she's got. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, we get to the opening credits. And we get a Carol King song um, <laughs> yeah, written for the film, I think. But it felt very nineties as well. Yeah, I, I think it was the I first mean, time I actually noticed how kind of dated the music was a little bit for <laughs> like like the not not the the score for the movie, but like any kind of like you know the music Wanda at the beginning, Lady and then kids. you've got uh, uh, playground. Um, this used this to be my playground, playground at the end at, uh, by Madonna. <laughs> Which isn't as dated, doesn't feel as 90s, but the first song certainly does. <laughs> Carol King got nominated for a Grammy for that, uh, for the opening title really? song. Yeah, which shows you that basically you can record any song and get nominated for a Grammy, which I believe was the <laughs> criticism that The Simpsons had of the Grammys in like 1992. It's like very easy to get nominated for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't mind it as like an opening song, but yeah, it just feels a bit kind of slightly out of place. The score is so good in this film, and. 
you know, really kind of conveys like the 40s once we get into the 40s. Um, that like the song at the beginning and the end, they feel very, very kind of like out of place. It, yeah, especially I find it the beginning because the beginning of the movie sets the tone for the movie. So to go from something that's very modern, very like well, you know, modern for the '90s, and then into like a very 1940s inspired score is a little bit of an odd choice, but okay. Yeah, and it's funny because when we get this newsreel, I the voiceover, I was like, why does that sound like someone doing like a parody of like a 1940s newsreel? Um, and then in the end credits, it said that it's done by Harry Shearer. And I was like, oh, of course, because <laughs> Harry, <laughs> because Harry Shearer does that type of thing on The Simpsons. So that's why it sounds like a kind of Simpsons parody of a newsreel, because he's just like he he's literally doing the voice he does for that. Um, I just thought that was funny. <laughs> I was also like, who the hell is that voice? It took me to the end credits before I was like, oh, Harry Shearer. That makes sense. It bothered me like the three times or so that he did these new reels. I was like. That's such a perfect like parody of a newsreel voice. Why why do I recognize it? Um, oh yeah. But yeah, I like how we get the newsreel as well. That kind of takes us into like it gives us the characters, like the guys who were setting up the league, and obviously those are going to be played by actors that we're going to meet throughout the film. So I just thought that was a, a oh, kind of quick way to exposition newsreel, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then we get to a baseball game. Finally, in this I love baseball. that these women are just playing in like a local league. That there's a local softball league in the '40s for women, and that's fine. Yeah, I do like this kind of cornfield setting as well, because obviously, you know, for the rest of the film, we're going to get like baseball stadiums and stuff, and and this is like a just the fact that it's like a completely different, you know, just like a kind of makeshift. Uh, it's supposed to. Diamonds. It's supposed to be in Oregon, but that doesn't look like Oregon, though. That looks like, I don't know. Iowa. It's more Field of Dreams, I think, than uh, than Oregon. <laughs> that is, do you know, that is what I thought. I thought it's weird that they're like like what five years after Field of Dreams or something, eight years, like setting a setting a baseball game in a cornfield feels like a kind of direct uh, a kind of direct reference. I mean, maybe they have. But corn, I guess it's just convenient. But they could have cornfields in Oregon. But I always think of just trees in Oregon. I guess it really had a midwestern feel to it. I think is the issue that. I saw some people talking about, and it's like, this doesn't look like Oregon. It looks like the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> I but, can't say I know the individual states well enough to tell the difference. I was, when they said Oregon, I was happy enough to go along with it. I was like, okay. Well, all you need to know is that Oregon is really far from Chicago. Like, really far from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did they film all of this in Chicago then? Or, or they traveled I'm a bit? I'm not sure, actually. I think I think I think it was at, it depends uh, on which which stadium they were in. They were in there were some like um, minor league stadiums. That yeah, they, they were in, in Indiana for some of it. I think. Yeah, yeah they weren't exclusively then, in Chicago. Yeah, and there was some stuff that was yeah, it was mostly um, Indiana, but then there was a little bit that was done in uh, California, and then they obviously used Wrigley Field. Um, I think for the the tryouts were in Wrigley Field. And they just redressed it so it looked like a, a different stadium. Well, because Wrigley Field is the field that looks the most like it probably did way back when. It's it's a very old style stadium. I mean, obviously, a lot of teams now they you know they spend billions on getting themselves new stadiums, don't they? So it's very hard to yeah well, find seems... one that would look like I it think... was in the forties. I think there seems to be a kind of a thing that I have to do kind of retro stadiums as well. Like a lot of the new stadiums are are starting yeah. to look a little bit like the old stadiums did. 
which is kind of cool. It'd be very helpful when they start doing baseball films set in the 50s and 60s, I guess. Exactly, which is yeah. longer ago than I would like to <laughs> admit. Uh, I love the relationship that we get we get to see between the sisters. It's the, like your typical older sister, little sister relationship, I think. You know, like nag and mule and name calling and lay off the pitch and I'm not going to swing at the pitch because you told me not to. And it really sets up their relationship well, I think, that first little game uh, playing for the dairy. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm the oldest, so I don't know what it's like to be a, a younger sister. So I don't know if any of you are older sisters or younger I have a sisters. younger brother. <laughs> Yeah, I also have yeah. a I don't know if it made me wish I had a sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I do. I mean, obviously, this is kind of the backbone of the film is the relationship between Gina Davis and Laurie Petty. Yeah, so you got to um, get into it right away. You got to set the set yeah. the frame, right? <laughs> I had to yeah. look up who played Kit because I kept looking at her and I was like, is that is that Helen Hunt? Like, I I just kept thinking of like Twister and I it looked just like her. And I thought, oh, is that baby Helen Hunt? And it was not. And I was like, I don't know who this actress is, but. She was fairly I mean, popular in the 90s. Um, Lori was, I think, like, especially Tank Girl. I think Tank Girl was her big movie. Hmm. Yeah, I think Tank Girl is what killed her career as well, because yeah. it was a gigantic flop. Yeah. And then she didn't really work after that, you know, in anything big. I don't think she's done anything that I've seen since Tank Girl. I think um, the only thing I've seen is kinda... seen her in since then was an episode of Star Trek Voyager, of all things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, she was on Orange Is the New Black for a, a, a you know a few episodes or whatever. So she's mostly been doing TV. I mean, I guess it's funny because like her big break really was only the year before with Point Break. That's and true. Then... She was in Point Break. I completely forgot she was in that. <laughs> yeah, and then she did Free Willy, which is just a weird career move um and then you know yeah by by 1995 she did tank girl and that was kind of her big her big her attempt to kind of become a big star and then it just uh it just if there weren't headlines about tank girl tanking the an opportunity was missed yes um yeah 25 million made six i did so. see i did see somewhere that uh that uh laurie was uh, Laurie Petty was hired because of her resemblance to Deborah Winger, who was the original per- actress hired to play Dottie. But then yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but so then yeah. when uh, Gina Davis was brought on board, apparently a few days before filming, so she had to pick up baseball pretty quick. Um, they had to color Laurie Petty's hair to a similar color to Gina Davis to try and make more of a resemblance. That's why they've both got kind of reddish hair. Like, look. They're sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we would never, never know. know. Uh, yeah, I should say. Obviously, there were a lot of other actresses that were gonna be Dotty, um, including Demi Moore and Sean Young, and then Brooke Shields was offered it in like 1987, and then the writers' strike pushed the film back, and then, as you say, Deborah Winger was eventually cast. Yeah, um, and then scheduling issues, and she ended up losing the role in short notice. One of my favorite pieces of trivia on IMDb about the casting, and I have no way to verify if this is true or not. Prior to marrying Donald Trump, actress Marla Maples auditioned unsuccessfully for the film. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite IMDb fact ever. (laughs) How strange. I have no no idea if it's true or not, but someone wrote it down. How old were these women supposed to be? Was it supposed to be kind of like women in their 20s and 30s? I just, I think I was a little bit thrown by calling 
kid, like, the kid's sister, you know, was she supposed to kind of be teenager or, like, 20, and Dottie was 23 and married, which also kind of threw me off, like, oh, okay, so she's of marrying yeah. age. <laughs> Gina, um, Gina Davis is a year older than Tom Hanks. <clears throat> oh, wow. <laughs> so in this, in this film, they're what? both about... They're both about 35, something like that. Wow. Okay, and but, they're supposed to be in this film, and then Kit is, like, kid's sister, but, like... But they're in not. In the sense that she's still, like, 20. Surely they're, she's <laughs> not playing 35. No, Gina Davis is, I believe, probably kind of early to mid-20s at the most, yeah. because she's married, and she wants to have kids, and if she'd if her hus- if she been married to her husband for any length of time before he went off to war, I think she'd probably be having children. And uh, I think Laurie Petty's character, Kit, is supposed to be, I would say, late teens, maybe 20. Really? Yeah. Huh. I think that's that's what they're going for, but everyone in the 90s looked like they were in their 30s, which is a problem. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's what they're going for. That She really is the kid brat sister. It's interesting because originally Jimmy Dugan was meant to be in, in the 60s. 60s. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they cast Tom Hanks, who obviously, you know, was friendly with Penny Marshall after Big, um, they they had to convince him. They were like, no, no, he's not. He's not meant to be old. He's just broken down. So it's like you can be broken down. <laughs> yeah. Like, at like 35 if you're <laughs> well, a baseball he's, player. He's broken in, in both ways. He's broken. His knee is, is shot. He can't play. And he's broken and he lost his five years of his life to booze. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think I think it works. Um, because, you know, like you said, I mean, he spends so much of the film very slowly walking from place to place. As someone uh, who so has he, a bum does... knee, uh, myself, <laughs> I'm just like, yep, that's how I go downstairs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So you, you do feel that, like, even though he's in his mid-30s, he it feels like he's lived, a you know, more of a life than someone who's meant to be 35. Can I just say that Gina Davis is really tall? Oh, yeah. <laughs> She is six yeah. foot tall, 1.83 meters for anyone who's in the metric system, much like myself. Uh, but like she, there's one point where I think it's during the tryouts where she is like head and shoulders above everyone around her. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I mean, yeah, I do like that tryout scene because obviously that's where Gina Davis does her catch. And that's where Madonna and, and Rosie O'Donnell are like, oh, hold on a second. She can actually play. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, some of them uh, are going home. It. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that, which is just a great moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, before that, though, we do get, uh, I mean, I would call it a cameo. Reuniting from Big, um, <laughs> where where he, he advised, you know, uh, he was kind of angry about how little it was in his paycheck um, along with Tom Hanks. Although obviously Tom Hanks' character was happy to have like 170 whatever dollars, whereas John Lovitz was bitter about it. Um, but yeah, apparently John Lovitz was a, like in this film a lot more, um, and they cut his role down substantially to just basically the jokes. Um, mm. And he is very funny in this, like just the way he acts as like this. this I kind find of him utterly misogynistic and annoying. <laughs> He, yeah, he I mean that. But that's like. Uh, but he's John Lovitz. I just love him. I guess I, his delivery is so good. But I don't think you're necessarily supposed to like the character. I, I just know. wrote down the note: John Lovitz being John Lovitz. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think he, he just kind of walked in. I don't know if he was in the right movie. He just was like, I'm going to do a whole comedy routine right here, and that's it. That's fine. They're like, put this on and just talk. Okay. <laughs> I do I do enjoy when he's on the train, and this guy's like a salesman, and he's trying to like pitch John Lovitz on how good of a salesman he is. And he's like, if I had you, if I had your job, I would kill myself. And he's like, I'm going to go get a gun. <laughs> and it's like... He and like the the like the look on the salesman's face is just so funny where he's just it completely drops like, like he just doesn't realize that basically he's been boring John Lovitz to death and John Lovitz is not having that. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I mean, I like as well how when he comes in and he sees them milking the cows, he's like, "Doesn't that hurt them?" And Jesus you know, that would boost like, the well. hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like I like that Gina Davis is kind of almost like no, you know, like. You know, we've been milking cows for hundreds of years. Like, it doesn't, you know, like, just, just his kind of ignorance of, of stuff is kind of funny that, like, they, they kind of dismiss him in a way that, you know, I think some other characters wouldn't. Apparently, while they were filming on this farm, um, one of the cows was actually giving birth behind them during during the filming of a scene, and John Lovitz didn't even notice because he's totally a city boy and doesn't know anything about animals. And they turn and then they called the the freshly born calf um, Marshall after the Marshalls. I just like to reiterate how far they go by train from Oregon <laughs> through Colorado to Chicago. <laughs> it is thousands of miles. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like a train ride. But that does sound like. It must take like a, a week. <laughs> <laughs> also, these two women just get decide to go to Chicago with this man they've just met. That is bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 is, that is some stranger danger right there. You know, obviously Dottie doesn't want to go. And... But obviously Kit does want to go and then there's a whole like I mean obviously some this is something that comes back later in the film, but kind of like the fact that it is Kit who convinces Dottie to go along with um you know, with John Lovitz and, you know, kind of exerts her uh, her little sister power on her, which I you know again, it's like you've got to kinda of establish them as sisters and I think that's one thing that obviously younger siblings will do. Mm-hmm. Um Although neither of my brothers have made me play for a baseball team and go on a long train ride with a strange man. So um, I guess my brothers wouldn't do that to me. But yeah, I do like the kind of the exploitation of the relationship, the way the kit is like, you know, I want to do this. So you're going to have to do this. You know, what else is there to do but do chores on the farm? You know, like we may as well go to Chicago. I do think that Gina Davis sort of plays it that she's like... 85% 85% I don't want to go, but there's 15% of her just like, I like the idea of this, but I'm a married woman and I should stay at home and know my place and all that kind of 1940s stuff. But there's like that 15% of her that, this sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah, I think as well, like Kit wouldn't have been able to convince her to go if she was 100% not going. I exactly. Think- there's just she enough, recognizes... just enough of a little yeah. hole for Kit to get through. It's like if, like if you wanted to go to the movies and your parents were like, well, you can't go to the movies unless your big sister goes with you, but your big sister doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to see that movie. You got to talk her into it. <laughs> they also get a quick glimpse of her parents uh, when her mom chastises her for saying, like, keep it down. Your father's listening to the radio. Swear to God, I think their father is actually dead. <laughs> He's just sitting in his armchair, not moving. He's just like, and I think he's absolutely dead. 
and they've just preserved him somehow in the Oregon sun. So they get on a train. Off to Chicago they go. Via Colorado, where we meet Marla. Switch hitting... I don't know what position she plays. Is she an outfielder? She's a switch hitter anyway. Mm-hmm. And boy, do they play up her looks. Yeah, this is another one. This is one of those characters in like, you see this a lot in 90s movies where everybody keeps telling you they're a hideous beast, but she's really like a regular looking woman who's making a weird face all the time. But- yeah, because she looks up, which makes her eyes look all big. And then he's just like, bah! yeah, like she Perfect. does the littlest thing. I might, I might react that way, I guess, if she looked up at me like that, because it is a really weird face that she makes all the time. But yeah, everybody's like, oh, God, you can't like it, the beauty school scene when they're like, oh, there's nothing we can do. I'm like, all right. It, <laughs> you know, hey, what should we do? Play a lot of night games. I know. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I got. I put it at the end. I think my favorite car, my favorite character, actually is Marla. <laughs> I just love. Her. Yeah, she gets, she gets like a nice, she gets a nice little arc. Yeah. Um, you know, and this was Megan Kavanagh's film debut. Um, well, apparently you know, there was a deleted bad. scene where uh, after she gets married, she actually comes back and plays in the league. And she plays she's for pregnant. yeah, and she's pregnant. So they they find out that she's pregnant, and then they they stop her from like sliding into bases and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's yeah. why like Dottie was was crying later because she accidentally like slid her, and it like so then she like had to go to the hospital, and she's like crying like oh no, I hurt this baby. Like that was apparently part of what the. The tears were about later instead of like her husband. I mean, what I like though is at least they show that she's extremely competent before they start doing any of the stuff about her looks. They're like, watch her hit all these baseballs. And she's clearly very good. And then it's just John Lovitz pulling funny faces and not being. I mean, John Lovitz is not one to talk, um, <laughs> you know, about her looks. And, you know, like. I mean, I, I mean, I think it fits with John Lovitz's character because he's not a good character. Like, he's not a good person. So the fact that that's, that's the kind of thing that he does. But then also, you know, um, you know, Kit and Dottie both are like, we're not going anywhere unless, you know, Marla comes with us. <laughs> like, she's clearly talented. She's great. You know, they're not bothered about anything else. Yeah, so I like the solidarity there. And I love her dad. Her dad is great. Love him. Yeah. He's like, I raised her how I knew. I raised her like a boy, and that's fine. And, you know, I'm sorry I made that mistake, but don't take it out on her. Not that it's... I was going to say, like, the girl power and, like, putting the suitcases down. Like, no, we're taking her with us. Yep. Amazing. We're not going anywhere. She's coming with us. Yeah, and I I mean, what I like as well is her dad comes, like, just the fact that her dad is, like, you know, she she's been raised like this you know don't penalize her for that like just you know you can see that she's very talented you know just let like let that be the thing and obviously john lovitz is like no and then kit and dotty are like yes (laughs) and i just like that they immediately like you know straight away he's trying to kind of you know um have some kind of authority over them and immediately like it's just always taking his half a train ride from to be like nope we're not listening to you Um, yeah it's such a heartfelt plea from her dad as well yeah, he's, he's a good actor. Yeah, he he was in he was in Lois and Clark. Was he Lois? He was in Lois and Clark, I think. I'm dating myself now. Um, he was he was Superman's dad, I think. He was good. In that. Yes, he was Jonathan Kent. Yeah, yes, in yes. Lois and Clark. Yeah, yeah. 
so then we eventually get to the tryouts. And I was inspired to look up a fact by looking at the tryouts. I was wondering when the sports bra was invented. Because all these women are running around and I know what 1940s undergarments look like. Turns out, sports bra was first invented in 1977. So these women are running around in like, you know, the kind of slightly cone-shaped 1940s lingerie bra type things. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> They're all wearing Madonna bras. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I think that would have been something if Jean-Paul Gaultier designed the undergarments for this film. Uh, yeah, Madonna would just make one film. phone call and he, like, suddenly he <laughs> yeah. shows up on set. He's like, I'm here to create the underwear. It was half French and half German. It was bad. The guy who's in charge of the tryouts and who will be one of the managers uh, is Don S. Davis, who I remember from Twin Peaks, uh, where he played... Uh, like the the general guy who worked for the army. Yeah, I was like, uh, what have I seen him in? I'm like, oh, he plays uh, Jillian Anderson's dad in X Files. That's where I knew him from. Yeah, and I think he was like a regular <laughs> on Stargate for like ten years as well. Yes. So he's yes, done he a was. lot of yeah. He's done like a lot of science fiction stuff. Yep. Um, but yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I like these tryouts as well. Like this is obviously we said this is where Gina Davis catches the the ball with no hands. This is obviously where we meet Madonna and. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell, who will kind of be the comic relief for most of the film. Um, you know, in lieu of Tom Hanks yelling stuff, Rosie O'Donnell will spend a large portion of the film yelling. Um, seems as Tom Hanks' character is going to be passed out drunk for part of the film. Um, so someone's got to yell. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really like this because we get a quick introduction of like basically all the characters. We don't really get to know them that much in the tryouts. Uh, I would say apart from Shirley Baker. Who obviously has a moment. can't read. Yep. Yeah. I thought that was a nice moment as well. Like, you know, one of the other girls going up and being like, what's your name? And then kind of finding her name on the, the thing. You know, I, th I thought that was sweet. And obviously she has like a small kind of arc where she's reading erotica, I think. Um, yeah, she's reading, she's reading some smut with Madonna. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought, it was, I like, you know, we get a, a kind of a small beat with most of the characters in this scene as they're kind of introduced and obviously throughout the rest of the film, we'll kind of get to know them more. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is mostly where we get the controversy with the uniforms and, you know, the fact that they're going to be playing in short skirts, but also they're all going to be going to charm school, which. <laughs> and beauty school. I... Yeah. Uh, beauty um, salon, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually um, happened. That is factual. I can believe that quite frankly. Yeah. What is not factual, they... however, is that the League was not successful right away. When the League was actually created in the 1940s to, to replace um, Major... Well, to sub prop up Major League Baseball, I guess, since the League was still going on. Um, the uh, It was really popular because they played in places where you couldn't see a live game. So a lot of people who had never seen live baseball would go and watch the Women's League because it was local and it was easy to get to because there was no live TV back then. And live TV was actually what killed the league in the 1950s when people all across the country could actually watch baseball from many you know different places on television. Were they the also radio, doing, I guess, as well. Were they doing the kind of globetrotter stuff that we see in the movie, or were they just playing regular baseball? 
Um, I believe the the first year they actually did underhand fast pitch like they do in softball in, in women's softball, and then the second year they uh, played uh, they started throwing overhand. But most of the rules were the same as as the um, as Major League Baseball. Like for example, I was gonna say what. Were they trying to have them all be, you know, beautiful, like, you know, well, I guess because they were looking for, like, it has to be, like, the prettiest women. You said, obviously, the, the charm school, everything, you know, there was real. But, yeah, I mean, all, the, all that showboating to kind of play up femininity was so strange. Well, a lot of the showboating in the movie is to try and save the League, and I don't believe that in real life the, the League needed to be saved. Maybe later on, but, uh, like, it was, it was quite popular to, right off the bat. Oh, a baseball pun. Um, so uh, I don't know that they had to do the same showboating at the beginning as they did in the movie. And in the movie, it's just you know fun to see them showing off. And I guess they, a lot of it was so that when they were off the field, that they were ladies. <laughs> yeah. Which obviously is where we get the uh, the chaperone, uh, Miss Cuthbert. Oh, that poor woman. Yeah. yeah, I have to say, I couldn't get on board with poisoning her. Well, in the same day, in the same day, she has to argue with the bus driver. He throws dirt in her face. Then Tom Hanks, her, Tom Hanks kisses her without consent, and then she's poisoned. All in the same day. And, like, it has to be quite severe poisoning. The doctor said he'd never seen someone throw up that much in his whole career. That's, like, pretty bad. And she looks miserable yeah. the entire time. So I don't know what May gave her, but I, they're lucky she didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> I swear they they got the actress from the Wicked Witch of the West. Yes. From Wizard of Oz. I could have. I swear to God, it's the same. She looks oh, it's not. But, she, yeah, she looks exactly like like she's related somehow to Margaret Hamilton in some weird way. Yeah. She, I don't know if it's the hair, her face. I don't know what it is, but she's like she looks. The I mean, she's probably made up to look severe like that. Yeah. Yeah, she looks a lot like Margaret Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. But it was like she's wearing the same outfit. Like you put her on a bicycle and then she's... <laughs> I should say Pauline Brailsford, who plays Miss Cuthbert, is uh, British. So maybe that's just... Maybe that's just why she looks like... Uh... Are you saying that... <laughs> so severe? <Maybe. laughs> Confirm for us. This is how British women look. All very severe. I, th I I don't know. I think maybe that's maybe that's it. Maybe there's a bit of Britishness in there, the kind of stern nature. Uh, but yeah, but her kiss with Tom Hanks was nominated for a 1993 MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm serious. Yes. It must have been a bad yeah. year for on-screen kisses. I, the MTV. The thing is, the MTV Movie Awards for Best Kiss are known for sometimes just being a bit like kind of wacky. Um, you know, although they did nominate. Um, Sam Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair for Cruel Intentions. That's what I was thinking about, yeah. Yeah, so... And then also, I mean, that won, but then also the parody of that by Mia Kirshner and the old lady in Not Another Team movie, that also got nominated. <laughs> so, um, which is kind of weird. Um, but yeah, so there you go. I think that's one of the only awards that this film got, was a, a nomination for Best Kiss. Um but yeah, I mean, we haven't, the thing is, we haven't met Jimmy yet. This film has been going for almost half an hour and we have not Tom Hanks. 31 Tom Hanks minutes film. and 17 seconds is when Tom Hanks finally graces the screen. I forget yeah. that he's in the movie. I know, you're like, oh yeah, and him. He... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he gets top billing. He gets the first credit. He's, you know, oh, like, patriarchy. on the poster. 
on the po- on the poster, he's sharing the top billing with um, Gina Davis, I think. But yeah, he gets the, he gets the before the title credit. It's Tom Hanks and then a league of their own. Um, I should also mention in a small role here is Taya Leone. Um, yes, she's yeah. When they it's funny because when they get to the beauty school, they're going down the line and saying what needs to be done with each of the, these different people, and then they reach Taya Leone, who I believe at this time, as well as being an actress, was a model. And so they don't say anything to her. They're like, yes, she's fine as she is. Yeah, I actually, I have never seen her at this phase in her career. I've only seen her in more recent movies. And I was, I didn't recognize her at first. She really was stunning. Not that she isn't now, but you know, she looked like a model. Uh, At this time, I I mean, I first saw her in a sitcom called Flying Blind, which like ran for 22 episodes on Fox in like 1992. So it's from around this time. So I, I vividly remember 1992 Taya Leone. When she showed up, I was like, oh, my God, it's Taya Leone. And then, and then they walked straight past her <laughs> onto Gina Davis, who also, I think, in the 80s had been a model. So they're like, nope, you don't need to do anything with Gina Davis. But yeah, uh, the beauty school thing is kind of funny. And also the whole, like, when they're drinking tea and they have to have their pinky out. There's a lot of slurping going on, too. Yeah. And Rosie O'Donnell is, like, helping herself to all the, the, the kind of biscuits and whatever i just thought it was funny um but yeah we finally meet jimmy dugan broken down baseball player um who is possibly very drunk um and gary marshall well, that's not the first time we meet him though the first time we meet him is when he's talking to the uh chocolate bar uh guy who offers him the job yeah. first of all yeah yeah and then uh, his physical acting once he makes it onto uh, to the team is so good. <laughs> the way he like I'm saying he should have slumps down and nominate something. Yeah. Well, I mean his big entrance, you know, it's it's the first match day and obviously, you know, the team are all there. They're in the locker room. They're about to like 5 minutes from the start of the game and you know, in walks Tom Hanks falling about basically, uh trying to find the nearest urinal and then of course unleashing upon us 53 seconds of peeing and some of the best pee acting you're ever going to see. You know, somebody who basically is showing the relief of peeing. Um, it's, you know, without giving too much away. Like he really, he leans into it and then he leans back. And then, you know, he just goes through like the five stages of peeing, like in the space of 53 seconds. He he's really in- sells you on the idea. He's really enjoying he it. He might be peeing. Yeah. Because of course he is, because he's Tom Hanks and that's peeing is his thing, uh, you know. I mean, I think the last time he got to do it was in the money pit. Um, and then also he was peed on in the money pit by a statue. So, you know, you get both variations in that film. Um, but yeah, I mean, this scene is just like the fact that he just kind of ignores the entire team. Um, and then also the fact that he's so mean because he rips up that baseball card. I mean... The baseball card that she said that if she if anything happened to that card, her husband would come back from the war to uh, and kill her. But then you have to remember that a little later on we realize, yeah, he's not coming back. No, yeah, so sad. Does Tom Hanks often play this kind of jerk kind of guy? Because we think of him as like he's the you know, especially as an actor, he's a sweetheart. He does no wrong. He's America's dad, uncle, whatever. But I feel like I just—it's just unnerving to see him be such a jerk. No, this is the first time that he's done that. Apart from I would—I mean, I don't know. Bonfire of the Vanities—he's meant to be a jerk, but he just can't bring himself to 
fully invest in that, in that role. So he ends up just being mildly annoying. Um, you know, and I don't, I can't, you know, up until now, any of the films I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the films I've covered, I don't think he's, this is, this is like a first, you know. This Especially is during why... his, like, romantic comedy kind of, you know, phase of movie making, you know, like, uh, not, well, you know, like, not his, before he gets into the serious drama of his career, like, he, he played a lot of bumbling, lovable, splash-like characters, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, but he has to start out as a, uh, as an, a jerk so that he can have the arc uh, i mean he's still a bit of a jerk by the end but he's you know, yeah, a little, you know, little bit more of a lovable yeah. jerk yeah <laughs> but uh i think this would be a good spot to bring up the uh tv show from the 90s because the character of jimmy dugan in that tv show is awful he yeah. is mean 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 really <laughs> like meaner than tom hanks ever would have been at the beginning of this movie yeah and not nearly as lovable like you sort of almost forgive jimmy dugan in the movie because it's tom hanks he's just yeah he's He's adorable he's he's delivering it's like almost like a rodney dangerfield type character it's a like in terms of how he delivers his lines and stuff it's really weird so as i was uh telling uh kelly before we started recording um i had watched i tried to watch the first episode of the sitcom which is available on youtube the quality is terrible um but i got about four minutes in and jimmy dugan speaks the following line he says um uh where did i put it oh here it is um now for those of you whose husbands weren't killed during the war you're not thinking out there in reference to Ooh. Betty Spaghetti, whose husband was killed in the war, he, she's standing right behind him when he says it, and she just kind of rolls her eyes and leaves the scene. And there's a laugh track on the sitcom. So he says that line, and then, ha, 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 very funny. And that's when I bailed. <laughs> I I kept watching, and it kept getting worse and worse. I audibly gasped when they introduced a chimp in episode two. Uh, so there was literally a chimpanzee. It's the most 90s sitcom thing ever. Like playing baseball? Uh, he was the mascot and then Dottie hits him with a, hits him with a ball and knocks him out and becomes hated by everyone. (laughs) That is is actually the third, the the third episode of the season. And it's directed by Tom Hanks. That's the third episode of the oh, season. Oh, really? Okay. On, a, on YouTube, Hanks. it was listed yeah. as episode two. But yeah, that was the other thing is that Dottie was back, which means that the show is officially not canon to the movie because they say at the end of the movie that Dottie only played one season. It's like fan fiction of the worst kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I've seen fan movies made better than that. It's funny because Tracy Reiner and Megan Cavanagh both reprise their roles as yeah. Marla and Betty. And so John Lovitz is in the first episode as himself. Yeah. I mean, Sam McMurray is pl- is the person who's playing Jimmy Dugan in the TV series, and I like Sam McMurray. He's a he's a good actor, um, but he's no he's no Tom Hanks. No, and he was just playing the role very differently. Yeah, it was just jerk times a hundred. But with no arc to get better, <laughs> as yeah. far as we can tell. Maybe that was the plan, but they, no. Yeah, the pilot's really funny, too, because since only those two actresses reprised their roles, there's a lot of, oh, it's you. Yeah, you're Dottie. 
like or you know it's like <laughs> you remember <laughs> that you know you're uh what's madonna's character's name they they do a lot of those little exposés because Actually, the the actress playing Dottie looks a lot like Gina Davis, but besides that, they they don't really look even similar. So, it's uh, Carrie Lowell who was um, she was in I think one of the um, the James Bond. Who was the guy? Timothy Dalton. She was in one of the Timothy Dalton James Bonds. Oh, yeah, she was in Lic- time- License to Kill. <laughs> yeah, around the time that she was married to Richard Gere. Yeah, so yeah, I thought she there had was a an eventful eighties. Oh yeah, no, she yeah, I could see it. She does look a there is a there is a resemblance to Gina Davis. It's you know it's fairly good casting if you're going to do a TV show, but um, I don't think the film makes a very good sitcom. <laughs> no, yeah, it was. It, it I'm was curious painful. how the the new one will will go. I'm very excited. I'm assuming it's going to be a bit more. I'm assuming it's going to be a bit more serious. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot of comic actors. Is it? Yeah, Abby well, I mean, very funny, and um, because the movie's not entirely serious. But not entirely funny either. Mm-hmm. Like there's that kind of fine. It walks that kind of fine line where there's funny moments, but there's also very serious moments. Yeah. And overall, it's it's a sports movie. It's women playing baseball. So hopefully the the TV show uh, can uh, can walk the same line and be just as successful. Yeah, it's uh it's going to be an hour long, so I assume it's going to be a drama. But I think it's going to follow a different team through the 1943 season. Mm-hmm. Right. So effectively, it'll run in parallel to the film. So that's so they're not using the same characters. It's all new characters. Yes. No. Although yeah. apparently Rosie O'Donnell will be, will be guest starring at some point. Are they going to DH her? Well, <laughs> that was my first thought as well. <laughs> I'm assuming she's probably playing a different character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Nick Offerman has been cast as somebody, so I have to assume he's a coach. Yeah. And not like a husband of a player. <laughs> no, that would be pretty pretty unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I actually, I saw Darcy Carden's going to be in that. I love her, and I, I really enjoyed Ooh, Broad I City back um, back when. I only, I, haven't, I only watched like the first two or three seasons of Broad City, but I thought it was very funny, so. I mean, having a good cast is a great foundation, but if the writing can't measure up to the cast, then... Yeah, but but Abby Jacobson, I think, did the writing for Broad City, or uh, I mean, half. Okay, that's good. She's funny. So, well, speaking of a good a good cast, I mean, even seeing the opening credits for this film, I was like, oh, you know, they're in here and they're here, and you know, it just it just kept on going with these incredible people. Yeah. It's a lot of incredible people very early in their careers. I think is what yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, there's one poignant movie, poignant point in the movie where. Um, uh, a ball is hit off to the side to a segregated area of the stadium where black fans are watching the game and a black woman catches the ball and throws it back to Gina Davis with enough force for Gina to pull her hand out of her glove and go, ow. So clearly with a lot of talent and a lot of force. Um, it, the original league was uh, white players only. Uh, and they were trying to be sort of as accurate as they could, so they knew that they weren't going to be able to have a very diverse cast, but they wanted to um, point out that there were very talented players of color. So they put in this small scene to point out that um, the reason that there's not a diverse cast is because that's the way it was in the 1940s, unfortunately, even though Jackie Robinson had already um, desegregated uh, Major League Baseball, 
that the Women's League was still white players only. This episode continues in part two, releasing tomorrow. <laughs>